almost <clears throat> at the end of James. I think maybe two or three more sermons to go, and we're done. And so, you know, we, 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 as we look back upon our almost, I don't know, six, seven months of, as we did this, once again, James devotes a lot of his letters to the practical matters facing the Christian during this time. He's talking about, he talked about trials of various kinds, right? He talked about, um, you know, the, the, the importance of watching our tongues. He talked about, you know, the attitude that we should have as we live in this world. And he's also talked about how we, can, how we are called to endure suffering in this world. He talked about a lot of different things, but, at the, but in the last few, few verses of his letter, he devotes to teaching about prayer. He discusses all the relevant areas of life, and he ends with prayer. He ends with his instructions in prayer. I think he did this to teach his people, whether they are suffering because of unjust you know, economic systems, or they're suffering because there's a division in the church, whatever trials that they are going through, James is teaching the Christians and all of us that this life, no matter what we go through, we are to live a life of prayer. Our short lives in this world, the Christian is to pray his or her way through this life. Prayer is not just a religious exercise that we do. Prayer is what we're called to do during the remaining course of our lives here. It is an absolute essential element of what it means to walk with God in this world. To the point where I dare say, if you're not living a consistent life of prayer, I don't know what that says about your relationship with Christ. More so than anything else, I think one of the key evidences that shows whether we understand Jesus Christ or not, or whether we, whether we know Jesus Christ or not, I think is evidenced by whether we pray and what we pray for. And I am not telling you this to make you feel guilty. I think it's, it's, it's a matter of fact me describing how vital prayer is to the life of, the, life of God's people. And so as we talk about prayer, right, as we talk about prayer, man, this is very loud, huh? <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta push my way through this. When did they get drums? When did that happen? You know what I mean? All right, let, let, let's focus. So when I talk about prayer, I, I, I feel in the room right now, right? I talk about prayer, and I talk about how important prayer is, and I can feel the burden just like being, being like heavily laid upon you. I go, and they go, oh. Because we all know that we gotta pray. In fact, like, like I told my small group the other day, there's three main answers to Bible studies, right? 
There's three answers to Bible study that will cover 70% of all Bible study questions. And those three answers to Bible, every Bible study question is this. It's either Jesus, it's either Bible, or it's to pray. Those are the three most common answers to Bible studies, right? So we know that we, are, we all need ought to pray more. But I think the reason why we don't, it's not because you're lazy or I'm lazy, but I think the reason why we don't pray it's because we weren't educated. We weren't taught what prayer really is. And we weren't really taught, you know, how God helps us in our prayers. God really does help us in our prayers. And we weren't really taught that our prayers really do work. I think all our lives, we just heard pastors teaching you that you must pray, and so there's something about you that recognize that you need to pray, and that's all fine and dandy, but no one really taught you what prayer was, and no one really taught you that God really does help you to pray. God doesn't leave you alone just to pray on your own. He, he sent the Holy Spirit, and one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to help you to pray. And what we're going to talk about later is our prayers really do work. You need to be confident in the fact that if you are righteous before God, and if you're in Christ, you are, then your prayers actually work. Because we have this hazy idea of prayer, I think that's preventing us from praying more. So before we go into the details of these verses, and trust me, there are a lot of details to these verses, and I can't possibly cover it all because we need to do Lord's Supper, and we got to you know, end in time. Let me just first give you the background of what prayer actually is. Okay? And so I, the, my purpose is to tell you what prayer is so that you'll be confident, so that you will want to pray more. Okay, so what is prayer? Prayer basically is, in my opinion, right? Well, not in my opinion. I think the biblical version of prayer is the fruit of your identity. Prayer is people who are in. It's it's the fruit. It's the privilege. It's the confirmation that you are in Jesus Christ. Paul's favorite definition of a Christian, in my opinion, is Paul calls Christians people who are in Christ. If you are a Christian, Paul says, it means that you are in Christ. What does it mean for us to be in Christ. It basically mean, means his identity and our identity are no longer separate. That we are united with him. That it is no longer PJ existing himself in this world, in this universe. But the PJ now exists because Christ has forgiven him and because Christ has has. Because, and because of Jesus Christ, I am united with Christ. 
there is no longer me as a separate person. In Christ, I am united in him. On the cross, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think, 521, on the cross, he says, it says, Paul says, Jesus became our sin. And when he died and rose again, we who are sinners became righteous. So in the cross, right, on the cross, Jesus became sin and we became righteous. There is an identity shift in the cross. He became sin. We became righteous. And that's how we are united with him. We are no longer in God's eyes, if you're a Christian, a person who exists separately apart from Christ. If you're a Christian, if you accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and forgave you, when God looks at you, and the way God looks at you is the only thing that matters, he doesn't see you separately from Jesus Christ. Your identity in the sight of the object, of object of God is that you and Christ are no longer two separate entities. You're one. That's why Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, one of my favorite life verses, he'll write this verse when I die in my tombstone. So you're very busy when I die. You got pray songs to lead. You got a, my tombstone too. This is what goes and remind everyone. Remind yo. This is what's going to go on my tombstone. Galatians chapter two verse twenty. Paul says, "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God." who loved me and gave himself, gave himself for me. Paul says, after becoming a Christian, this guy named Paul no longer exists. He died with Christ. I have been raised with Christ, Paul says. And the short time that I live in this body, in this world, I don't live for myself. I live depending upon having faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave, him up, gave himself up for me. If you're a true Christian, or not for that, if you're a Christian, you don't see yourself separately from Jesus Christ. You don't. It's always, you always think about yourself in the light of who Jesus Christ is. What sin is, as I said in the prayer confession, sin is we once thought that we were our own. We, thought, we once thought that we were independent agents. We existed for ourselves. We do what we want to do. Our feelings are the measurement of what is real and true. We live for ourselves. But if you're a Christian, you don't see yourself that way anymore. You primarily see yourself as a person who's united with Jesus Christ. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see yourself? Look, I had like maybe two or three demon attacks in my life. I did, right? 
weird experiences. But in those experiences, all that I could tell the demon was this. But I have Jesus Christ. Because in the moment of those attacks, all I know is that I had Christ. And that's the only, he's the only thing that I had. And when I confess that, I think the demon attacks just dissipated. Christ, is your identity, are you and Christ the same? Do you see yourself in the light of Christ? That is what it means to be in Christ. Definition number one, you are united with him. What it means to be in Christ, definition number two, you commune with him. You share intimate thoughts, intimate knowledge, right? Like, like two f- good friends or husband and wife, you, sh- you, 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 you exchange deep, intimate things with each other. You commune with Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ, number one, you're united with him. You're no longer separate, but you're, but you're united with Christ. Definition number two, being in Christ means that you commune with him. And definition of being in Christ number three, you fellowship with him. Fellowship with him is to be united in one purpose and one goal. Right? I wish Sean was here. Fellowship means fellowship of the Lord of the Rings, fellowship of the rings. These different people gather together for one mission, and that's the, that's a fellowship. When you're united with Christ, his mission becomes your mission. His goal becomes your goal. His work becomes your work. That's what it means to fellowship with Christ. Being in Christ means you're united with Christ. Your identity is wrapped in Christ. You commune with Christ and you fellowship with Christ. His work becomes your work. Are you with me so far? Man, I spend more time in this than I thought that I would. Okay, it's okay. We'll go. Prayer is an absolute essential part of being in Christ. Being in Christ means being united with him, right? It is primarily through prayer that you experience your unity with him. People who are independent agents do not pray, cannot pray, because they're not united with him. People who are independent agents can ask God or Allah, whoever, to do things for him or her. But people who are Christians, prayer is a means in which you affirm over and over and over again that you are in Jesus Christ. Am I I, I being clear? Is it confusing? The way you know that you're united with him is that prayer constantly confirms that you are. If your prayer is just a laundry list of what God needs to do for you, and if you have no idea through prayer that you're united with him, there's something definitely wrong with your faith. It is through prayer that you affirm over and over and over again that your identity is with him. Jesus, in John 17, prays to the Father. Father, pray. He prays that, let the people know, just as you and I are one, that they are in one with us. Jesus is praying that his disciples experience the oneness that they have in Christ. That's what prayer is. Experiencing the oneness of Christ, with Christ. That is why Charles Spurgeon said, Prayerlessness 
is the beginning of all evil. If you're prayerless, Spurgeon says, you think you belong to your own. You think you're an independent agent. And it is that belief that all, all the sins of our lives are stemmed from. But if you know that you're united with Christ, your desires will change. Your behaviors will change to conform to what he wants you to be. You need to constantly affirm through prayer that you are in Christ. So that your desires and your purpose and everything about you will be aligned to his will. You cannot align your will and your emotions and your desires with his will and purpose and desires unless you know over and over again through prayer that you are united with Christ. Are we we clear? Is it hard? In prayer, you confirm your union with Christ. In prayer, you commune with Christ. You don't pray by yourself. You're always, we always pray being, by being guided by the truth. And when you pray by being guided by the truth, what happens to you is you have a deeper personal understanding of Jesus Christ. You really do. A life of prayer that is guided by the truth of God, when you constantly let your mind and your prayers be guided by the truth, what happens to you is you have a personal understanding of the sovereignty of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. And and, and everything about Christ, it becomes a more solid, solid reality to you. This person, there's this like tennis player, legendary Australian female tennis player named Margaret Court. She is, one of the, she is the most decorated, not decorated, she's the most achieved female tennis player in the world. She's so famous that they named one of the Australian Open's tennis court to her, Margaret Court Arena. Margaret Court is a pastor now. And I, I saw an interview with Margaret Court, and she told the interviewer, to me, God is more real than you sitting right in front of me. God is more real than any person that I know. To to Margaret Court, Christ is more solid reality than actual human beings. Why? Because she spent her lifetime in prayer, communing with Christ through prayer. You will know him personally through prayer. When you know him personally, you will, ha- you will know who you, who you are in a more clear sense. Understanding him leads to a proper understanding of yourself and other people. In prayer, you commune with Christ. He's a living person to you when you pray. You know what I mean? In prayer, you're not only united with Christ, you're not only communing with Christ, you're fellowshipping with Christ. Fellowship, once again, you are bonded by the same mission and goal and work. In prayer, you do his work. Look, listen, people, this isn't because I'm a workaholic. I I don't think that's true. 
is very biblical that this world is a place of labor, right? Jesus said this world is a harvest field. In the eyes of God, this world, it's not Palm Springs when you turn 65. For those of you who don't know, rich people, when they're 65, they retire to Palm Springs and play golf in God's waiting room until they die. In the eyes of God, this world, it's not a retirement place. It's a, it's a field that you need to labor. And I need to labor. Paul says this world is a race. It's a race that you run. It's never a place where you try to find your own happiness. It's never a place where you try to find your own fulfillment. No, no, no. This place is a place that you work for the Lord. And the way, and one of the key ways that you work for the Lord is prayer. Do you understand? I don't know why, but God, by his love and mercy to us, he designed reality to be where he will move when his people pray. He designed reality so that his work will be done through the prayers of his people. God is sovereign. God is powerful. God is mighty. God decrees all things. But this sovereign God decreed it so that his work will be done through the prayers of his people. This, place is a, this world is a place of labor, labor for God. And the best way that you labor for God, one of the key ways that you labor for God is through prayer. My work, I spend maybe 40, 50 minutes preaching. This is just a small part of my work. My work starts when I pray for you every day. Try to devote myself one hour a day to prayer. I devote myself to prayer because that's my work for Christ on your behalf. My work begins as I constantly think about these passages throughout the remainder, throughout the week. I think of, I start thinking about these passages on Monday, and and I write until late hours on the weekends, so I can present this to you on Sunday. But this, what I do right now, is only a small portion of my other work. And the other work is that I pray for you. That's one of the most important things that I can do for you, is to pray for you. The most important work that, Jesus, that you can do for Christ in your job, in, your, in this world, is to pray for his people of this church. You fellowship with him. You do his work through prayer. Do you understand? Not only people of this church, but the people in your life. Look, there's only one you in this world. There is only one you that does the project at your workplace. There's only one you who is married to your spouse. There's only one you who, who, that you're a child of your parent. There's only one you that you're a parent of someone. There's only one you. God has let you giving you all these different types of projects and people in your life so that primarily you can pray for them. So that his work will be done in their lives through your prayers. God's work will be done in the people of your lives through your prayers. That's why we pray. We pray because through prayer, we are united with Christ. 
Through prayer, we commune with Christ. Through prayer, we work with Christ. Do you understand? That's why prayer is such, such essential to the life of the people of God. But if I end there, I'll burden you. It feels like I'm going to just say, go pray on your own. But that's not even, that's not true. Because prayer is such an essential part of the life of his disciples, God helps you to pray. God helps us in our prayers. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, he says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, says the Holy Spirit, one of the key jobs of the Holy Spirit is to help you to pray. The Holy Spirit helps you to pray. How does he help helps us to pray? How, do, how does he help us to pray? He helps us to pray by letting us know who God is. Look, Sunday mornings, as you are listening to me, I hope and I pray that you will have a better understanding of God. And I hope and I pray that through Sunday's messages, that God will make you understand a little bit more deeper understanding of who he is. But the reason why God is giving you a deeper understanding of who he is, it is so that you will take the knowledge that you gain on Sunday mornings and take that knowledge to your prayer closet. I think what God has God is teaching you on Sundays not so that you listen and be convicted for that day, for that hour. No, he's giving you this message, this truth, so that through this truth, you go to the closet and pray to God based on the truth that you learned on Sunday. I love my small group, right? And small groups, we have a great time of conviction, Right? I'm so proud of the Arlington Small Group. You know where we have Bible study in the Arlington Small Group? We have it in the lobby of the building that Joe and Heather, that Heather lives. So we, we're here in the corner, like 10 of us, and there are unbelievers, like going past, like going to parties, going to the gym and whatnot. We, we, we have Bible studies in a very public place, right? I'm just, I'm just waiting for them to kick us out one day. Right? And I don't have a small voice, right? One of my old church members, I guess who live in that building, says, yeah, I saw you in that building. So we're, what we're doing is very public. But in the midst of the public small group, Bible study, I feel the conviction of Christ being laid upon the different members of that small group. I recognize the like, like face of conviction. The reason the Holy Spirit convicted you in that small group it is so that you will take that conviction and take it to the prayer closet and pray. That's how the Holy Spirit leads you. He gives you messages. He gives you the Bible. So that when, the Holy, when you study the Bible with the Holy Spirit, he will teach you the things of God so that you will take those things of God and pray based on it. He helps you to pray. Right now, the Holy Spirit is convicting you 
And the same Holy Spirit who convicts you is going to help you take this, take this truth and pray over it. When you open up the word, when I open up the word and try to study who he is, 99% of the time, the Holy Spirit gave me conviction and new understanding of who God is. He really does that. It is not because I'm talented. It's because the Holy Spirit is gracious. I take a passage, and in the passage, I, I, he reveals to me who God is, and I take that knowledge, and I pray for you, and for me, and for everyone else that I, that I know, based upon that truth. The Holy Spirit helps us by teaching us the truth. The Holy Spirit helps us by making us feel and see that God is alive. It's really, I, I can't explain it. When, you are in, when you're praying in the truth, the more you do it, the more you feel God's presence. He helps you. He really does. When you go to him daily, maybe it's for 30, you don't, you don't, maybe it's for, for 20, 30 minutes, Open up a small passage of the Bible, short passage of the Bible, and pray and ask Holy Spirit to reveal God to you. He really will do it. And when you pray based on that revelation, you will feel him come alive in your heart and your mind. You will. And you start to understand him. And things begin to open up. The Spirit really does help you in your prayers. Not only that, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers by showing us what to pray for. You know what I mean? How do you know what the Holy Spirit wants you to pray for? Go to a small group. Listen to the prayer requests of the people in that small group. That's how you know what he wants you to pray for. Right? How do you know what the Holy Spirit wants you to pray for? The everyday episodes of your lives. The problems that you have. Right? The, 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 the issues that you have with, with other people. The insurmountable trials that you're going through. He's letting you go through all that so that you will pray those things to him. He shows you what to pray for. When you say, I don't know what I need to pray for, I think you're not seeing things in your life clearly. He's letting you go through everything that you're going through so that you will pray for those things. He really does show you what you need to pray for. It's amazing. That's why if you don't go to a small group, I'm really sorry to say, I want to be as nice as possible. Not going to small group is a loveless act for the church. Because you're saying to the church, I don't really care what, the, what my brothers and sisters are going through in life. I don't really care. Is that challenging? You mean to do a smile on my face? When you don't go to small group... You're saying, I only live for myself. 
and the struggles and the concerns of the church, mm, I don't really want to participate in that. You know? Life of the church is the way the Holy Spirit shows you what to pray for. The Holy Spirit not only reveals God to you so that you can pray, the Holy Spirit not only reveals what you need to pray for, even things that you don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit helps you. It says in Romans 8, in our groans, the Holy Spirit helps us. Sometimes I have no idea. Sometimes I'm so tired, like yesterday. I mean, at 2 o'clock in the morning, man, I have my limits, man. Right? I was like, oh, gosh, I want to go to sleep. And I said, Lord, Lord, I'm just tired. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. That's prayer. I have my limits, but I'm going before me and it says, Lord, I have my limits. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Even though I do not know what to say, the Holy Spirit helps me in my prayers. God is with you when you pray. Do you understand? The living God is active when you pray. He's there for you in your prayer closets. He says, come and pray. Commune with me. Fellowship with me. Pray for my work. Pray for the things that my work will be done in the people of your lives. Come and join me, he says, in prayer. And third thing, man, I can't believe I'm, I'm almost ending. I haven't even began touching this verse yet, but it's okay. Where am I going to go? Nowhere, right? The third thing that we need to help in mind, prayer, number one, is we experience the union with Christ. Prayer, number two, Holy Spirit, help us in our prayers. And number three, you need to understand, prayer works. It really does work. Verse 16, it says, the prayers of a righteous person is powerful. I'm sorry, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James is not saying your prayers, God may or may not answer your prayers. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're a righteous person, your prayers will work. What is a righteous person? A righteous person is a person who is in the right standing with God. If you're in the right standing with God, God will listen to your prayers. He will. He will not only listen to your prayers, but he will, he will act based on your prayers. The question is, how do you become a righteous person? You become the righteous person when you accept and truly believe that on the cross, Jesus became sin for you, and because he became sin for you, you're righteous in God's sight. There is nothing that you can offer God to make you make him love you anymore, because in Christ, that your sins are cleansed, and in Christ, you are made righteous. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you're in right standing with God, that makes you righteous. A righteous person who truly believes that Christ has forgiven him on the cross is a person who will live righteously. How do you know that you truly believe in Jesus Christ? That, how do you truly know that you believe in Christ and Christ made you righteous? You will live righteously. 
You cannot say Jesus died for my sins and yet still sin, right? It doesn't make any sense, right? When you truly know what he has saved you from, how can you continually live the way that where he saved you from? You can't. Yeah, you will fall sometimes, but the trend of your life is that you will live differently from the way you have lived before when you know Christ has saved you, right? A righteous person not only believes that Jesus Christ died for him or her, but whose lives you start to strive to live more righteously. If you are such a person, James says, your prayers are powerful and effective. God will do something with your prayers. He will. In my experience, when I pray, three things, one of three things happen, or maybe sometimes all of it happens. But generally, when a righteous person prays, either the situation that you're praying for changes, or the person that you're praying for changes, or most importantly, you will change. When you pray for, when you pray, when a righteous person prays, either the circumstances changes, or the person that you're praying for changes, or most importantly, you will change. Something always happens when a righteous person who is in Christ prays. It always happens. In my short life here, I've seen more miracles happen before my eyes than I can possibly count. The other, this week, last week alone, look, like, I had a really, um, this is camera, I have a really energetic client, right? And there was this investment paperwork that got a little bit, Botched. And energetic clients are really energetic and show their energy when said investment work is botched. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right? And they really were energetic in sharing their enthusiasm for the situation to me. And three partners got involved, right? We have four part, five partners of the firm. Three of the five, that's what, 70% got involved, right? It was crazy. And who was the lead attorney? This guy right here, right? But something happened. But miraculously, this investment piece worked out. My partner said, it's a miracle. It's a miracle, he says. I said, dang right, it's a miracle. Every week, I can show you, I can tell you what God is doing in my work because God does something in my work. When you pray, God really does something. He really does. Or God changes the people that you're praying for. I can tell you about that. Or most importantly, I think this is the most important. God changes you when you pray for certain things. 
I think when we think about answered prayers, we discount what God is doing to us as we pray about these things. I think the most important work of God when you pray for a topic, it is through that topic he's going to change you. You understand? Corey Tamboom is a Holocaust survivor, and she and her sister Betsy was in a Nazi concentration camp, and they were Christians. And they were in a solitary confinement or something, in a basement of a dungeon of a concentration camp. In that concentration camp, they prayed, God, help me to see that you exist, that you haven't abandoned us. After they prayed that prayer, they noticed a spider webbing, like Spider-Man, doing a, he's creating a little web for himself, itself. And to their eyes, that web, that spider web, looked amazingly beautiful. That spider web made them realize that God was with them in that concentration camp. Through the spider web, they had hope to move on. Betsy died in the concentration camp. Her sister died in the concentration camp. The situation circumstances have not changed for Betsy. But in the concentration camp, Betsy's eye became more open so that she changed. Look, my wife is going through something, interpersonal problem like I shared last week. It's amazing to see. At first she was all bitter about that person. But I see the more she's praying about the situation, I can see her heart change, her coldness melting a little bit, a, a little bit, a little bit more every day. So that she can become more forgiving of the person that she has a problem with. It's not complete melt, but it's slowly melting. That's an amazing thing to witness. The person she has something, something against. That, 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 that dude ain't changing. But my wife is. Look at Job. The whole book of Job. Job is saying, why are you letting this happen to me, God? God doesn't change Job's circumstances. God, Job doesn't get his dead children back. Job doesn't get, I mean, he eventually does, but when he's praying... God doesn't change Job's circumstances. He doesn't get his health back. But when Job prays to God, what happens at the end? God changes Job's perspective. When a righteous person prays, something happens. And the most important thing that happens to a righteous person when the righteous person prays is inner transformation. Things change. That's what power means here. Right? Is it power? Is, uh, the prayer of a righteous person it has great power. Power means like TNT, explosion, change. When you're righteous, God will look to listen to your prayers and things will happen. I'm a living example. All with, by the grace of God, God's letting me experience changes constantly around me, in me, as I pray. That can happen to you, Christian. That's why in your short time here, God has called you to pray. He will help you 
in your prayers. He will reveal himself to you in your prayers. He will do great things with your prayers. He says, come pray. What does it tell you about yourself if you say no to this call? What does it say about you if you say, I'm too busy for this call? What does it say about you when you say, I would rather do my own thing rather than heed to this call? How you think about prayer, whether you do pray, It reveals a lot. My dear friends, I guess I got to end before even touching verse, basically verse 13 and 14 and 15, verses 13 and 14, James is telling you, in all situations, whether you are suffering or whether you are joyful, in all circumstances, you need to pray. That's what James is saying. And we're going to talk about this more next week. Right? Small group leaders, I don't know what you're going to do, but maybe teaches, right? I don't know. Like Sean's group, I'll be there. I'll guide you, guide your prayer meeting. Church group, Pastor William will guide you. But before we go through more details of these verses, verses 13 is telling you, you pray in all circumstances. Because that's God's call to, for your life. It's know him, experience him, do his work through prayer. Will you pray, Christian? Will you pray? Let's pray.